Hello, welcome to the NHSR podcast. As you know by now, I don't give them episode numbers anymore because there's no point because they come out in a funny order and I know for a fact that this one definitely will. We are recording today on the 25th of May, 2023. I have with me a very special NHSR guest. I'm always excited when we have NHSR people on the podcast. So that would be Tim. Tim, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hello, uh, I'm Tim Taylor. I work at UKHSA, which is what was formerly known as Public Health England. Um, and I'm here to talk to Chris about all the good things with NHSR. Excellent. Thanks very much. Speaking of NHSR, I just want to, before, because I'll forget at the end, we are at the moment open for abstract submissions. So please come along. We're taking Python and R. They'll all be on the main stage, all nestling happily together. So please, if you've got anything R or Python or even any other open open source coding language, we're very friendly to other languages. Uh, please do submit. I don't know the closing date offhand. I should have checked. I think it's around the 24th of June, something like that. So you have a little bit of time to come. Right. Let's kick off. So just do you want to Tim, just tell us just basically kind of what you do in your life and kind of what where R comes in, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Uh, so I'm an infectious disease modeler in practice, but in reality, I view myself more as a research software engineer. And what that means, I think my current boss came up with a nice quote, which I actually really like. Um, it's in collaboration with domain experts, I write software to help improve the analysis they can deliver and i think that's a really good thing i think recently in academia and more so now in public sector i think people are realizing you can't be great at everything and i think there was a time where we kind of pushed towards people who had so many skills and you'd see the jobs um advertised and it was just too much whereas now i think there's a recognition and let's go back to having people who really specialize so i get to kind of specialize in writing code and that suits me and it works for them um, they can focus on the analysis i can focus on the code Right. So everyone's got a really, I think, a unique story with kind of how they used, why they started using it or how they got started using it. So tell yours. Yeah. So my first encounter with R was actually when I was uh, doing my PhD, where my uh, supervisor wanted me to use it to make my plots. And I looked into it. I was honestly a bit confused and I gave up on that and I just did all my plots in MATLAB. And left it there and then a few years later I'd started a job at Department of Transport where I was working as an operational research analyst and for some reason it was just installed and it was available for me to use and I was looking for something where I could do a bit of scripting which wasn't VBA so I just started using it and I actually realized I quite liked it um liked it so much so that I actually thought oh, actually I don't want to be an analyst anymore I want to just do kind of software engineering and left to get a role in that and actually came across some R vacancies advertised doing pure R development so for the last four years I've been able to kind of solely focus on developing an R and it's just something I've kind of grown to love really uh, started off very much using it for analysis and now i very much use it more as a kind of um from a developer's perspective yeah it's really i mean what you were saying earlier about kind of being allowed to specialize and because uh, you have written, written lots of absolutely beautiful arcade as we'll talk about later um so it's clearly you know really important that you've been allowed to just kind of get on with it whereas the, the likes of me i've tended to have, kind of have to do everything and it's just it's quite difficult to um to kind of cover everything yeah, the um, as we were saying, I think the unicorns don't exist or or they can do, but it puts people under a lot of 
pressure and stress. Whereas if you can have people who specialize a bit, but also allow those who want to, to learn the different skills, if they want to learn them, I think that's a really good way to structure a team. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I think it's also more fun just from a personal perspective, having different yeah. skills rather than everybody having to do everything. That's very kind of laborious. And as you say, it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. So your history with NHSR. So tell us about kind of how you got started with the NHSR community. Uh, so about two and a half years ago, I think I joined UKHSA and it's very public health focused. And I finally, I, I was been aware of NHSR for a while. I'd always seen little things you'd done. I thought, oh, I finally got a reason to join now. So um, I, I joined the Slack group. And one of the reasons I like things like Slack is where I feel like I contribute to communities is I can answer questions or I can point people in different directions and do stuff like that. And the NHSR community is brilliant for that. Um, you can log on, someone will have a question, you can answer it, or you'll have a question, you can ask it, someone answer it, and you get lots of different viewpoints and it feels like you're really making a, a valuable contribution. It's it, it very much enables the kind of... Um, the cliche, give a man a fish or eat for a day, teach him how to fish. And it, it feels very yeah, much yeah, like yeah. that when you're, when you're um, contributing in these discussions. I, I think that's a really good way to develop a community. So anyway, that's it really. I just think so I like being involved in public health. I don't see myself as just a civil servant at a particular grade. I see myself more as working in public health. So contributing to a wider community outside of my exact role is kind of important to me. Yeah, and what you're saying about NHSR, of course, this is what we were just saying about teams, isn't it? Is that everybody's got a different thing to contribute. As I say, we have very long threads, don't we, with 15 solutions to the same problem. Exactly, yeah. Not everybody has anywhere near your coding skills, including myself, but there are people with interesting problems, you know, interesting things that you haven't thought of. And so it's, you know, everybody's benefiting, aren't they? So you're developing and hearing interesting ideas, and they're obviously learning stuff from you. Yeah, and it, you definitely you learn things both ways. I mean, like, it, yeah, it's just interesting. It's one of the reasons I really like R is for the multiple ways to do different things and then just being able to work out yourself what you prefer. I think it's really enjoyable. Yeah, and R, of course, has a lot of fantastic communities, not just the NHSR community. Um, there's loads, you know, all, all over the world. So um, that's really cool. Okay, so speaking of NHSR community, um, you have also given the community NHSR episodes. So do you want to just talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so this actually came about from one of those um, Slack threads we were just kind of talking about. Someone had a problem and I came up with a solution to a problem which um, worked and was okay, but it wasn't... Um, it was a bit more complicated than something you would just communicate in a few lines. And uh, it felt like some code that could be packaged up. And it, it was a very niche problem and basically about uh, working out overlaps between some uh, patient episodes. And first thing I'd actually say, so I'm going on tangent. Sorry, Tom, you can edit this. Is if you have a problem involving intervals in R, there is a brilliant package by Davis Vaughan from Tidyverse fame called IVS and you want to use that almost all of the time. NHSR episode solved a problem where for a large number of groupings or patients, that could be a little slow. And because it was a very niche problem, we could write a very specific solution for that and we could make it go really fast. So it was one of those things where if you don't have any trouble with the 
code go and slow don't use this package use the what i would say bet package but if you do this is available to you so it's very much more a package i developed to answer a question as opposed to something i was expecting to get wide use uh, hope that makes sense yeah i mean i think there's lots of uh, there's lots of kind of levels of these things isn't it? as we were saying just before i hit record that sometimes it is just like three lines of code in a slack thread isn't it but sometimes it is kind of bigger and bigger um so this is a kind of a, it, this is in the middle something that's that's too small for a slack thread but not big enough for a sort of a, like a cran package type thing. Yeah, it's more it's it's maintaining that um, I'm not sure what you'd call it, but it's archiving the knowledge as well. So one of the bring brilliant things about you having a centralised repository for, with an HSR is it, you can stop those things being lost in time and those answers being lost. And even if it just stays in the back of your mind, oh, I remember someone mentioned that there before. Oh, let me go look. It's a good place to kind of um, keep a centralised repository of that knowledge. And that's quite hard to do. I mean, I'm awful for just keeping things in my head. And I, I always mean to create my own knowledge base, but I never do. So I think it's really good when you get a group of people that do things like this. No, indeed. I mean, I think we're actually at a new frontier at the moment with. So five years ago, there wasn't very much happening in the NHS that I'm aware of in terms of coding and data science. But now the things are getting faster. We have a new problem, I think, which is curation. Yes. And we do have quite a few gifts. I'm always very flattered and touched when people give. Uh, there's, there's probably about five or six repos now that have just been handed over to us wholesale, um, which is really nice. And obviously, as you know, from your point of view as, as a package developer, you know, we, you know, we will look after them and we will, you know, keep them where they are and promote them and all that kind of thing. One day, somebody is going to give me some money to, to really properly create this stuff, you know, do the proper job that I've always wanted to do with it and make it into a website. So if you're an eccentric billionaire and you're listening to this and you want to fund somebody to do that, then please do. My DMs are open, as they say. It's a problem across lots of organisations, especially in the public sector, isn't it? Um, and I can tell you more about this, but um, the embracing of open source is being done, but the wider community engagement and the having resource available to just literally do things like I would guess it could be a full-time job for multiple people managing and promoting the NHSR community, not just as a kind of uh, maybe 20% of your time, but that does involve funding. And I think too often people have thought open source, oh, that's a free thing, that's a volunteer time thing. Whereas now I think there is a much better realisation that even for these for more academic packages, you really do need the funding and to develop uh, to develop these communities requires um, money, basically, in some way or another. Um, yeah, it's a classic fallacy. Open source equals free, and yeah. it's just not. It's just it's really unhelpful. Open source is free to mess around with your laptop, and that's great, but it's not free to do properly because nothing is. Yeah, and there's um, there's it's something we're trying to push at UKH. Say very recently, we've been having discussion about we really need if if we want to embrace open source as an organisation and make our analysis more open, you need people whose roles are dedicated to that, and that can be, I think that can be a hard sell early on. I think for people who understand the benefits open source bring and all of the related benefits 
it's not a hard sell, but selling that to people who don't maybe understand is quite tricky. So I think everyone's making progress across the board, but I think we're still very early on in those kind of uh, movements. Imagine if that was your job, though. Honestly, if, if, if that was, if I woke up tomorrow and they said, right, we'll change your job, Chris. Your job is to find all the open code in the NHS and to curate it. I would be so happy. It would be amazing. And it would make such a big difference, I think. What's one person full time? Well, did you? I think I shared this before, but there was a brilliant talk recently at FOSDEM um, by the, basically, it was the open source, I think, community manager at NASA. And they have it kind of written into, I'm going to, I don't know about America, but uh, let's say they've got it written into their charter that their stuff has to be available to the public. So they really go to a lot of effort curating this stuff and getting it out there. And it was, it was a really interesting talk. And it did make me think it would be great if kind of public bodies in the UK, etc., cetera, uh, had a similar approach and really embraced it to that extent. And yeah, I, I think we'll get there eventually. I think it's an interesting topic. I think we're all going in the right direction. Yeah, indeed. I think, um, yeah, there's there's a lot more interest these days, isn't there, which is great. Right, you mentioned speeding up uh, in the NHSR episodes, which was a beautiful segue uh, into the next bit. So I actually randomly saw your name on a Twitter. Well, I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know it was you. I saw Tim Taylor on a Twitter thread the other day, and it said something like, I don't know who you are, Tim Taylor, but you're a genius because you've sped up this code 2,000 times. And it was this blog post he'd done about this um, yeah, this, this speed up of code. So I slacked you and said, is this you? Just... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. I guess it was you, but it was. Um, so, do you want to just tell us tell us about that? Like, what was the code and, and what happened with it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I'll g- give you a little background. This I'm no longer on kind of social media, which is Twitter Mastodon for me, just because I I, I find it can be a bit enraging at times for all the stereotypical reasons. Like, it, it's low bandwidth uh, conversation. It lacks nuance. There's just so many things where it can be bad, but I still love following the kind of hashtags of things I'm interested in. So it's my way to absorb interest in information without actually getting involved in some of the discourse, which I find a bit off-putting. So I follow the RStats hashtag, and I, I just saw this person post something about some um, code they'd written in R, which they needed to speed up, and they'd uh, used Rust and the um, and integrated it with the extend R package. And they'd got it much faster. I think they'd got about like a thousand times speed up or something along those lines. Um, and I liked code, so I thought, oh, I'll just snoop at their repo, see what they've done. Um, they were advertising it. So I was looking around and I noticed, ah, this code can be vectorized. So all of the overhead they were having from doing this operation multiple times could be removed at the R level by just making use of vectorization. So I thought I'd play around with it. I just gently raised an issue on the repository saying, oh, I think you could speed up your R code. And obviously this person um, took it and ran with it. And yeah, he got a massive increase. So the R solution ended up being quicker than the Rust solution uh, due to the overhead of probably due to the overhead of allocation between R and Rust, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so that was fun and it it was nice. And it, I think there's, I think you see that quite often is um, people do miss out on the where R is good and where some more performance can be drawn out. Um, I do have a wonder if that is maybe because of how they've learned R, which may segue into something else we 
might want to talk about. Um, I think sometimes if you've not learned R from learning kind of base R first, I think you don't necessarily understand how everything is structured. So sometimes you don't um, know how best to optimize your code if you need to. Just well, just for the non-technical people. So just so vectorization in R is, is a really really powerful tool. As you say, I think particularly some of the new to R maybe don't know what it is. So can you just kind of tell us what vectorization is and why it's so powerful? Yeah, so if, um, if we think, let's imagine we have a vector of 10 elements and we want to sum those 10 elements up. One way to do it is you could kind of uh, create a running sum at the R level. You could do a for loop where you initialize a count variable to zero, then you loop over each of those elements, adding them to that count variable. That is one solution, but that is doing everything at the R level. Now, what, you, what R has though is lots of functions are actually vectorized. So there is actually a sum function. And when you call that function, all of the summation across that vector is done on the C side of code. So that is then much quicker. It's not having to um, call in for C, pass it back out, call in again, come back out. It's just all doing it in C. So you can very quickly speed up your code in that way. And um, I'm not talking about this very well at all, but... Um, <laughs> Yes, it's it's the idea basically that you take multiple elements and you almost sort of you know the, the whole instruction is kind of done all at once, isn't it? I mean, not simultaneously, but it's done as one chunk. So the newcomers do sometimes is they will operate on each element, so they'll have a hundred elements and they will perform an operation on each one, and that's very, as you said, because of switching, that's very slow. Yes, but it you can actually feed that to our whole. And it will come back out, come straight out kind of thing. Yeah, and it, it's, it, it is basically that. And it, oh, it, it, there's also just ways you can structure everything to make use of it. So sometimes it's not apparent um, that something can be vectorized. I think that's more often the case is sometimes people are aware of vectorization. Um, so I'm not sure if we've got show notes where you can link to this, um, the chap who i helped he actually has made a video of this on youtube and it's actually really interesting i will put it in the show notes yeah 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 it's actually really interesting he goes through it and i think a lot of time what it is it's it's just you're missing the opportunities i think a lot of people are aware of it but they just miss the opportunities and i do that as well and, and sometimes you kick yourself afterwards once you see it you're like oh why didn't i think of that straight away and it's just it, Often it's just having another pair of eyes to look at the code. Yeah, I mean, that's there are different ways, even with the same tool set, there's, there's actually different ways. Well, I've seen loads of such elegant solutions to problems. You get this with the, um, what's that thing at Christmas called? The advent of code. You know, there's often yes. like a stupid way and a clever way of doing each thing, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And then when you see the clever way, you're like, oh, that's amazing. And you, you kind of, you start beating yourself up. But then you're like, no, that's, that's don't beat yourself up. It's just, you just everyone sees different things and yeah i i, I do like advent of code um, exactly for that reason when you see what people do you're like oh that is so clever and you just learn and it's yeah brilliant so we've touched a little bit on uh, kind of base r and tidyverse and so just because i know you've kind of moved around with with your sort of favorite tools over the years so just tell us about what your journey's been with that yeah, so I very much started, I learned base R and used only base R for quite a while. Um, 
mainly because my previous background in coding had mainly just been this kind of scripting side of things, maybe a little bit of C, but where you're doing everything yourself anyway. So I was just very much used to that approach. Um, I then kind of got introduced to Tidyverse and I, I kind of loved it. I loved being able to, um, what I really liked about it was being able to show a non-coding manager my code and then be able to get a feel for what's going on. And that was actually really powerful. Um, then I kind of got more into packaged developments. I was using less and less Tidyverse. And then um, for various reasons, I started playing around with date table and really enjoyed, enjoyed the date table approach to things. I found it a very elegant syntax. But now I'm kind of in a stage where I will use whatever works. So I, th I think what's really effective is when you start learning BaseR, because then you can, you get a really good understanding for the quirks of a language, its strengths, its weaknesses, and the variety of options available to you. I think when you start with Tidyverse, which I think is what you see more and more now, I think you actually lose some of the understanding of what's happening with the language itself, and you just you just miss some things. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think you miss some of the richness of language when you start there. And as an R enthusiast myself, I also, I think it, I like to promote that kind of base R language as well, because I, I just think there's a lot you can benefit from it. Um, I was actually, there's another podcast actually I was um, listening to recently. It's the latest episode of Not So Standard Deviations. And they actually have kind of had a, almost a similar journey in their teaching. Uh, so Roger Peng was saying how he used to teach base R, then he started teaching to Hydra first. And then he had a recent course where he actually realised that some of the bits his students miss out on are actually then very hard to explain. And he's actually wondering about whether he should go back to just teaching base R. So I think, I don't think there are right and wrong answers here, but I think there are benefits to, I would like it if more people learn base R first and then could really see the benefits of a wider package ecosystem. Yeah. That, that's my that's my plea. I, I could also, um, I think related to that, I think one of the issues where you start teaching libraries first is people don't understand dependencies very well and what they actually mean for the work they're doing. And um, I, I think you then see people um, being too happy to update their machine and update things and code breaking, etc. Not really understanding how everything fits in. And I do wonder if that is because people are pushed towards using packages straight away. Anyway, sorry, bit a bit, uh, bit of a ramble there, but hopefully it all makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very interested in this. Obviously, the NHSR community is very interested in kind of training and development. I, I don't think, I, I, I'm not sure about this. I, I'm not sure I know anyone who learned the Tinyverse first and then learned base R. I don't think. So I learned base R first. If you learn the Tidyverse first and then base R, can you please email the podcast at nhs.rcommunity at nhs.net and just tell us about, because my opinion is this, if you learn Tidyverse first, you will get quicker results. I think that's what's so appealing about it is you can take someone to a workshop and teach them, you know, deploy our filter and summarize and whatever, and they can do amazing things. And that's the thing that I love about Tidyverse is you can do, you know, like particularly some of the like the, the pivot and the tidy functions do a lot of heavy lifting for. It. And then you see the Python equivalent. It's like 10 lines long. But I have to say, I'm really glad that I did learn base R first because I do feel I've ended up with a deeper understanding. And 
also to do with dependencies you're saying i very much agree about that people who've just grown up with the tidyverse it just seems to be part of the furniture for them like they they call library tidyverse the top of every script and they just don't ever think about it and that's not a problem if you're doing a bit of analysis here and there drawing a graph it's it's not really a big issue i suppose it just depends how far you want to go i think there comes a point when you need to kind of stop and break things down and say, well, actually, what what am I doing here? What is pack? What what version of this package is this? All that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it more becomes an issue on the reproducible side of things, and when you're revisiting that code, maybe the same code but a few years later with slightly different packages installed, that's when you start to really want to have a better understanding of how your system is operating. I mean, one of the issues is a lot of people in organizations, they have no control over their underlying system anyway. So everyone comes up with their own hacks on how they can make it work best for them. Um, I think that's why you're seeing the proliferation of uh, things like RM, well, where people are trying to solve the problem. I mean, I might not necessarily think it's the best way to solve it, but it's generally because people don't have much control of their underlying environment. Um, so all of these things become linked and I'm ranting again or rambling again. Apologize. Yeah. I, I was just going to say the funny thing about talking about packages is that there's a package to solve the package problem, isn't it? Which is RM. Um, and then yeah. you wonder whether there's going to be a package to solve the RM problem, and so, so it goes. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a weird thing where we, ours had such a, such a lot of benefit from having CRAN and the way it um, kind of creates a, a harmonious um, collection of packages compared to what you have in the Python ecosystem where versions are really important, that I do worry that the great push of things like RM is maybe making it too easy to move away from the benefits of CRAN, if that makes sense. It does make me worry that are we are we gradually drifting towards that Python Python esque dependency management, which I think would be a bad thing. And I, I I sometimes worry that for all the benefits something like RM can bring, is it actually also pushing simpler pieces of work which don't need it in the wrong direction? Um, I don't know there, but just those sorts of existential worries you start having when you start thinking too much about things. No, well, it's funny, though, isn't it? Because we spend 99% of our lives not thinking about this and just with our heads down doing stuff. Yeah. And then very occasionally you just stick your head up and think, oh, I'm very worried about everything that I'm doing. And then you just forget about it and go back to what you're doing. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Okay. Well, that, we've had a really good chat. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. So um, thank you very much for coming on the program and thank you very much for all your coding contributions to the community. They're much appreciated. Um, I would like to thank Tom Gemmett for the edits. We've had a couple of weird bits in here. So Tom will have a little bit of work to do. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you would like to email the show, we've never had a single email. I'm really waiting for the first one. Uh, the email address is nhs.rcommunity at nhs.net. As I say, in particular, if you learn Tidyverse first and then base R, I genuinely want to hear from you. You can come on the program and you can have this argument with me if you like, or you can agree with me or whatever your opinion is. Uh, that would be really fun. Um, and we will uh, see you all for another podcast next time.